0: Uh, this is the third week. We're on a series called Economic Atheist, and I, I made a challenge that first week to come to all four weeks of these because this is an, an incredibly practical. Yeah, go ahead and move that an incredibly practical series. The the book of John was a little bit more intellectual. Was a little bit more about the depths of who Jesus is. This is a little bit more practicality. How do you work out your faith in the area of money? And we talked about this a little bit because. Money is talked about um, more than than prayer and faith. Money is talked about in the scriptures. Because it is something that God sees that has a handle over us. That money often diverts our allegiances. Where we used to be allegiant to God, we, we, we would take a look at money and go, ooh, that's powerful, that's important. And so this is a very important thing in our lives today. So we're dealing with the four most defining questions of your economic life. And what are the four most defining questions? If you have your, your uh, bulletins today, this is uh, notes in your bulletin, and it's how I work. We talked about that uh, right in the very beginning. We talked about this sow, grow, harvest deal that's right there in the Bible that, that you Begin to invest in something. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you're a journeyman. Maybe you're an apprentice. Maybe you're whatever that is. You you begin to to sow that into your life. You begin to invest in something. And then there's the grow uh, side of that, where you simply wait. And it's the hardest part on Petty Reference. Thank you for the one person that chucked that. Waiting is the hardest part. No? Uh, You people need pop culture. Okay. I honor, we talked about this last week, that giving sets your disposition towards God. We talked about it with my kids and with Sour Patch Kids, and, and we, we're going to talk a lot about these today. We'll deal with this in a minute. Some of you are wondering, am I giving these out? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make your <laughs> mouth work. here. Um, the, and some of you don't like sour candy. I love it. Anyways, and then the next is how I budget. We're dealing with that today, and then deal with that next week. So today we're in this how I budget. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about uh, about ten years. ago. I just had my ten year anniversary. For my wedding, I lost twenty pounds. I found it again, but I lost it for my wedding, and and I just I was just I just said I am going to lose this way. I'm going to. Look like super skinny. I want to look like James Bond, in my tuxedo, right? So that's that's what I said, and so I went about doing this. I thought, how am I going to do this? I had a few friends help me out. A few friends encouraged me, and I came up with this little system. And it's a system I think is really important for budgeting today. So you might want to take notes on this. Uh, It's super simple, and in life, this isn't. I'm going to talk about food, but we're going to use this to talk about money. There's two really ways to look at things. That's enough. There we go. And that's not enough. Now, our taste buds deceive us, do they not? You an amen there? Okay, our taste buds are deceptive. They are liars. So, they are. So, and this has been my problem. I have food on my plate it needs to be finished. It's got to go somewhere. And it would just be wrong to throw it in the trash. There's are starving kids in China. Like, this is what I grew up hearing. They're starving people around the world. It'd be wrong to throw it in the trash. And, and so I started finishing all the food on my plate. And, and I would do that all the time. And then I started finishing all the food on other people's plates, right? I mean, you, my parents used to call me the garbage disposal when I was in high school. And, you know, just that's a, a regular teenage boy, to eat up all the food in the house, and that was me. And I would go out to eat, and I, I had, at the time, I had this um, friend of mine who, who said, what you need to do is you need to, to tell yourself that's enough on the food. If you want to lose this weight free wedding, you've got to tell yourself that's enough. And, and I was like, well, but not enough. I like food. And so food was always over here for me. It was always, that's not enough, because you go to eat, and, and you know what? Um, my wife still has French fries on her plate. You can't let good French fries go to waste. You can't do that. And so I would eat her French fries. Well, it wasn't my wife back then. My would have French fries left on her plate. Or we'd go to eat, and you're stuffed, you're full. You know, maybe, maybe you go to Spaghetti Eddie's in, in Glendora, which is like one of the best Italian food places around, in my opinion. Anyways, you go to Spaghetti Eddie's. And then they bring around the cart, and there's a cannoli on it. And for me, I'm a sucker for cannolis. I love, like, sweetened ricotta cheese and, and the whole cannoli deal. I, you know, being an Italian kid, growing up with cannolis around, if somebody's got a good cannoli, I'm there. And, but I'm stuffed, and I'm like, oh, i got to have a cannoli. And so it's like my, my taste buds kept telling me, that's not enough, that's not enough, that's not enough. And so finally my friend said, you need to move to that's enough so here's what he did. We're eating one time, and he said, do you feel full? And I said, yeah. And he took his water, and he poured it all over the rest of my food on my plate. It was brilliant. It was honestly brilliant. I started doing that. I know I was re- ruining food for, apparently, you know, when we say they're starving children in India, like, what are you going to sh- put that in a shipping container and send it off, you know, full of maggots when they get it? Oh, I mean, I started ruining my food. And I lost 20 pounds simply ruining my food. And see, working out was over here. <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the problem. And isn't this most of the problem right now? And some of you are like, wow, I just learned the key to losing 20 pounds. You know, <laughs> well, you got to move food to that's enough and working out to that's not enough. It's so simple. How do you budget what you eat. How do you budget the way you spend your time? How do you budget this sort of stuff? And, and, and then obviously over time it sort of moved back. You know, I've got eight pounds of Sour Patch Kids in my house this week. How much of that do you think went in this trap? A little bit? A little bit. But the trick in budgeting is, is simply this. You have to give up something you love for something you love more. You might want to write that down. You have to give up something you love for something you love more. Now, some of us are stuck over here with spending. Here, I'm going to use a different color because we're moving on from food. We're moving to money now. And this is how you go through life. That's not enough. i just going to go to Amazon right now and get this because it's not enough. I, I, when I'm at the grocery store, I, I got to grab one other thing because it's not enough. Or when I'm, I got to go grab a shirt because the 400 shirts in my closet, they're not enough. You know, I've got to go grab these shoes because, you know, it's just they're of a sale right now and it's just not, I don't have enough. And we have this mentality of that is not enough. But what happens when you move your spending over to that's enough? And we have typically our savings over here. That's enough. Oh, yeah, I threw five bucks in my savings this year. I'm good. It's not that, And we think it's enough because our needs are being met. But the reality is, what are you going to do when you're older and you need a knee surgery? You need to have money set aside to take care of things like that. You need to save in, in order to live your life. But we, we tend to do this. We have these two categories in our brain. Whether we want to admit it or recognize it or not... We've got these two categories that are in our brain, either that's enough or that's not enough, and you have to give up something you love for something you love more. For example, for example, like if you want to get financially fit, you have to move That's enough. If you want to get financially fit, you've you got to move your savings from that's, an, from that's enough to that's not enough. I'm trying to move out of the way of the whiteboard here so you guys can. See it. Budgeting is trading something you love like financial purchases, the spending, for financial peace. That's what budgeting is, is trading something that you love for something that you'll love more. My sister-in-law used to tell me this, and, and, and I hated it, but she told me this all the time when I was trying to lose that weight for my wedding. She would say, Dave, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, and I was like, stop it. Stop saying that to me. I would, like, go to eat something, and she'd be like, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. I'm like, stop saying that. But what she was saying is, you've got to move to that's enough. That's enough. And this is so obvious for us to see when we put it out on the board like this, right? And, and, and some of you might be thinking, yeah, I do that with food. My taste buds deceive me. Or I do this with spending all the time. It, it, it just deceives me. It feels good to spend some money sometimes, and I get deceived. But why do we do this? It, it almost seems unachievable when we, when we look at the entire scheme of things in, in our market, and our economy. It's like how, you know, we do need to buy some stuff. There are some things we do need to buy. But on the other hand, like, how do we get out of that super consumeristic mentality of spend, 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 spend? spend? And where did this all come from? Well, I found a video that I think is really insightful that that really lays out the issue quite well. So I want to direct your attention to the screen, and Becky, go ahead and throw that on up there.
1: Many big ideas have struggled over the centuries to dominate the planet. Fascism. Communism. Democracy. Religion. But only one has achieved total supremacy. Its compulsive attractions rob its followers of reason and good sense. It has created unsustainable inequalities that threaten to tear apart the very fabric of our society. More powerful than any cause or even religion, it has reached into every corner of the globe. It is consumerism. But what is consumerism? Isn't it just a posh way to describe shopping? We're all consumers, after all. We all go shopping. And society obviously couldn't function without some level of consumption. I'm not talking about consumption here. I'm talking about the idea that we should all actively be consuming more and more every year and that this is the best measure of economic progress. So consumerism puts consumption at the very heart of the modern economy and everything is done to persuade us to go and consume more. Advertising hoardings, billboards, newspapers, magazines, the TV, we are bombarded day in day out by these advertising messages. You may think they're all selling you something different, different products, different brands, different lifestyles. But at the same time, they're selling one big idea, that the more we consume, the better our lives will be.
0: Did you hear that? The more we consume, the better our lives will be. And, and, and I think he's right. I think that, that that is an accurate assumption of how we feel generally in America, just in our own lives. The more we consume, the better we off we think we are, the better we think we are. We're not only affected by this, we are infected by this. And and I say that, and you know, I look at the, one of the big truths that came out of this video. He says this, consumerism robs us of reason and good sense. It robs us of reason and good sense. See, we all know that with that, that's not enough doesn't work in the long run. We, we know that that's not enough doesn't work, and this is what the video was saying. Consumerism, where you have to buy more and more and more and more in order to feel good about yourself. In the long run, that is not sustainable. It does not work. And that's what it's telling us is that is the lie. We all logically know that it's more sustainable to make fences. That's enough fences in our lives. And so today we're going to talk about how do we make these fences In our lives. More, that's enough fences. Our church makes that's enough fences. Our church says, you know, our church board at one point said, you know what we need to do? We need to make sure we have a facility savings account so that when anything comes up, we don't have to go into debt, but we could take care of that and not let ministry be affected in any way, which is a brilliant thing to do. But it takes a lot of work to do that. You got to do that in your own lives too. Maybe two or three months of savings so that. If something comes up, if you lose a job, you've got that fence. You're like, this money is always going to stay in there. Don't touch it because we are going to need to run our family for a few months, six months, if anything ever happens, if I lose a job or something like that. We need to build fences that are that's enough fences. So the book of Leviticus talks about these fences, and we've been talking about the book of Leviticus all through this series, that all through this book, There's these fences, and God says, hey, if if you want to live in my favor, then just follow these guidelines that I've laid out. Because it's for you. It's beneficial for you. I was just talking with with Elmo Vilches before the service, and we were talking about how practical some of these fences are, like the food laws. Some of us might look at Scripture and go, no shellfish. I I love shellfish. Like, they're crazy. You know, have they ever had crab? It's amazing, you know. And, And, you know, dip it in butter. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Why not? They didn't have EpiPens back then. When somebody had an allergic reaction, they would swell up and just die. You know, all through the scripture, God is saying, stay away from some of these foods because they were disease-ridden, they had worms, they had all sorts of things. It was for their health just as much as anything else. And when you look at that and you understand that, you go, wow, wow. These fences had a real practical purpose, and God lazies, and there's, there's sexual fences, there's health fences, there, there's all sorts of fences, but the fence we're, we, we continue to look at in this series is the fence on money and economics. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19, that's where we've been this entire series. Um, it is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it's the third book of the Bible, and there we go. We're going to start at verse 13, 19, verse 13, and it'll be up on the screen. Do not defraud your, or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. I'm going to pause there for a second. There were no banks back then. So God had said offense. Do, do not withhold the, the wages of a hired worker overnight. Now, we get paid like every month, every two weeks, every week maybe, depending on what pay schedule you're on with your work. You you get paid at a certain pay schedule because we have banks. We have the ability to manage our own money and things like that. But a worker would get paid for the day. And if they didn't get paid for the day, their family didn't have food for the day. Because you have to remember, there's other things that we didn't have back then, like refrigerators. This is why it's so devastating in Puerto Rico, because we've grown accustomed to a life with electricity. Therefore, everything we sell and have, you need to have electricity for, right? Right? So food goes rotten, food goes bad, water doesn't get cleaned. And, and that's why life is so hard back then, uh, right now in Puerto Rico. Because they've gone back to a primitive way of life. Well, this is a primitive way of life that was talked about in the book of Leviticus. And, and he said, you've got to pay your laborers that day. Don't hold back their wages because they need to eat too. Because God cares about them. There's no direct deposit. It says don't cheat them. Verse 14. Do not curse the deaf. Or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. I I love this. Do not take advantage of the disadvantaged. Do not take advantage of the disadvantaged. God always works the disadvantaged all the way through Scripture. He works them in, and He talks about them, and, and He cares for them. Look at verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. I love this. If a poor person were to sue a rich person, don't just judge in favor of the poor person because that guy's rich and they can afford it. Or don't just judge in favor of the rich guy because that poor guy is just greedy. Judge fairly. So God has these economic fences, and what he's trying to lay out is this sense that I want you to act the same way towards the rich as to the poor. I want you to love them like I love them. I don't want you to show partiality. I don't want you to have rules for them and then rules for them. I want you to, to care about these people. Part of your job as a believer following is caring. In fact, let's jump all the way back up to verse 9 in, in uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 19. It says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Harvest. Do not go over your vineyard, vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So well, imagine this here. You've got a giant field. All the edges of the field are not yours. You're the field owner, but they're not yours. Those edges are for the poor. They're for the foreigner. They're for the people passing by, the people who need food. And you have got one shot at your harvest. That's it. You got one shot at it, get your workers together, and you tell them, hey, the Bible says we got one shot at this, so you better do it right, you better get the stuff. And anything that falls on the ground, you're not supposed to, you just leave it there. And then you go through, and you collect what you need. Well, the vineyard owners always had enough. And guess who always had enough? The poor. They always had enough. So there's three lessons, I think, that are really important in our budgeting process, and and I just It's in your uh, bulletins here. And the first one is live inside your budget. Live inside your budget. That word your is very important. That's why it's underlined. There are groups of people who are owners. The crops are theirs, the edges are not. The crops are theirs, the edges are not. There are the non-owners. The edges are theirs, but that's enough. I mean, everything else is not. You have a budget, you have to live inside of it. The a sociologist named Tony Evans who once said, socialism teaches that the government owns everything. Capitalism teaches that we own everything. But theism teaches us that God owns everything. And this is what was trying to be taught in the midst of this scripture. That God owns everything. And, and God was trying to show the how very practically how this works. To the landowners, to the poor people, to the workers, this is how you you sustain. God has this process. He lays it out. This is how you get food. This is how you get food. This is how you get taken care of. The poor get the edges, but don't go into the crops. The owners, the crop is yours, but don't take from the edges. You need to live, and that's enough. We often talk about budgeting in in church as, and, and this is really important. We talk about 10% is God's. This is how we honor. How we honor. We talked about that last week. The first 10% is God's. It's a way that we honor him. It it is not investing. It's not a tax donation. It is a form of worship in our lives. It's honoring a holy God. 10% should go to your savings. And 80% is what we live on. We're going to talk a lot more about that in a video that's coming up in a little bit. Um, But the 80% is your tax, your housing, your food, your living expenses, and, and this is challenging for most of us. At our church over the years, um, it, you know, through the week, we've dealt with all sorts of people looking for help, and we call these, these folks uh, walk-ins. In fact, Nico and I were reminiscing on some stories. Nico's our office manager, if you're newer with us. We were reminiscing on some stories of some walk-ins, and, and we've had some guys come that were awesome. And, and in fact, here, here's one story. We, we had a guy come a number of years ago, and he said, I am not looking for a handout. I'm looking for a job. And we were like, what? <laughs> because we, at the office, every day, we have people walking in asking for stuff. And, and you know, rightfully so. They go to a church, they, they're looking for help. But this guy approached it totally differently. I need help. So this whole back area, this is about seven or eight years ago, uh, the, the church paid him to dig that whole area out, because it floods, and, and to do some new irrigation lines, and they all need to be redone again. We, we redid some last year, but he dug all that stuff out, and we paid him a little bit, and it helped him out. I'm not sure where he is now, but he just said, hey, I want to help, and, and he helped out, and we paid him. Another gentleman I was working with, um, I'm, now I'm convinced, he was homeless, and I'm convinced that he wanted and uh, I know that some of you are, what? There's some folks that want to be. And we could talk about that more and more if you want, but here's how I know. I was dealing with this guy, and he was asking for money because he didn't have any food. And, of course, we want to help feed him. Of course. And in fact, we work with another organization that has food bags ready. So whenever people come in, we immediately take care of their food needs. Immediately. But as he was talking, he was just talked about how, what a real challenge it is to get food and, and how hard it is to get food on a regular basis. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. And I started really feeling for the guy. And he was another thing, too. He was a vet. And I, we can't treat our veterans this way. These guys need help. And so I started asking him questions, and all of a sudden the answers did stop lining up. Well, if you've been a vet for 30 years, don't you have a pension? If you've been a vet for 30 years and you're of retirement age, where? You know, and, we're, and, oh, no, 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 we didn't talk about that. We weren't allowed to talk about that. But he had no money to his name. And this was a few years before cell phones were regular for everybody. And all of a sudden, his cell phone rang. And I said, wait a second, stop. You have a cell phone? And he goes, well, yeah, you've got to have a cell phone these days. I mean, you know, you just need a cell phone these days. And, and I said, no, you don't. And I said, in fact you've come to this church, and we've helped you out with a few things, but don't come to us and ask us to provide for your needs while you're providing for all of your wants. We'll take, we will help you take care of those needs, like we do for everybody else, but if you're taking care of all your wants, don't expect us to take care of all your needs. He got up and walked out. He was very upset with me, and and you know what? I'm a steward of the church's resources, and so we've got to take these things one at a time, all of these cases. In fact, since that time, we've now been dealing with an, another organization that helps them and vets for things like that. The guy had money. We found out later that he was a guy that just went around to different churches trying to get whatever he can get because that's the way he lives. And you know what? <laughs> I understand that. Some people do that. Uh, I actually, take, I take it back. I don't understand I don't understand that. He was not willing to work. The guy I told you before came in and asked for a job. He came in and asked for work. All right, let's get back to the point here. <laughs> the guy had a phone but no food. Anyways, it's so, easily, it's so easy for us to get confused. The point of that story was to tell you this. It's so easy for us to get confused on what we base, like what we want versus what we need. And, and we, get, we talk about things like, oh, but I really need this. It would be friend work. And do you really need it? No. You want it. Just admit it. Just be honest. Say you want it. That's enough? That's not enough. Which one is it? All right. Last night, one last story. I had a homeless guy preach me the best sermon I've ever heard. And um, I almost wanted to bring him today and have him say what he said because it was like right in line with what I'm teaching on today. I was walking out of Home Depot and, um, and this guy, he's homeless, and it was Home Depot right here in Covina. He says, sir, can I wash your windows? Can I wash your tires? And immediately, you know, you're hit up all the time everywhere. And I had my kids with me, so I, I just said, no, thank you. And I kept walking like two steps until God convicted me. I said, actually, my tires are real dirty. Can you help me out with that? And he, he came over, and I started talking to him, and I said, why didn't you just ask for a handout? That would have been way easier. And he said, well, sir, I lost everything I had on shady investments and trying to do things the easy way. I realized I need to work for a living. I just went, whoa. And I was able to share a little bit of the God. I said, did you know what you just said is right in the Bible? And he goes, what? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor, and I was able to share with him where this was in the Bible, and... And, and how you gotta, you got to work in, in, for your harvest. It's all through the Bible. And he just was like, wow. So we were able to pray for him a little bit, and it gave him a little bit of cash. And the, the reason why I stopped is because the guy said, can I work? He didn't just ask me to fulfill his needs. He said, can I work? Anyways, I, back to you got to live within your budget. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked on my own stories here. Some of you are the owners of crops. Don't pick the edges. Live within your budget. Some of you don't, are not the owners. Live within your budget. Where do we have find people to help us with these, these days and all this? Well, I found this great video, and I want to share it with you. It's like six, seven minutes long. I would highly recommend making notes on this video because my wife and I actually used this practice. We had a little bit of debt. We used this practice to get out of debt. I would tell you it's extremely important. So I want to show you this video. Please pay attention.
2: I've been looking forward to this. Chance for me to sit down with you and share a principle, something that I learned when I was younger that stayed with me. It's it's changed the way that I, I handle money. And some have called it the 101080 principle. Um, I want to share it with you as actually the give, save, live principle. So give save and live now this is a way of prioritizing the way that we handle our money and if you if you choose not to have priorities you're going to choose to live with pressure your entire life see see the prioritization is what is what creates margin in our lives this space on the cup This is the margin of the cup. And if the cup didn't have margin, it'd be a mess. It'd create a mess. Everything would would spill over and create a mess all over the place. And and people live with a mess all over the place financially when they don't have margin in their life with their finances. So we're going to talk about through these priorities is how you create margin in your life. Now, let's let's just say you get a job. And uh, let's say the job's at Chick-fil-A. And payday's going to come. And so you end up, on payday, you end up making $10. So we're going to put these cups out here. And this represents the give, save, and live. So what's the first priority? Well, the first priority is the tithe. It's 10%. It's giving the first 10% back to God. It's a, it's an offering back to Him because you want to be a candidate for favor. You want to live underneath His umbrella of blessing. So you, get, you give back to God. You honor Him. The second decision that you make is to save. But that's in the ideal world. And many of us, we live in the real world. And in the real world, what tends to happen is we tend to accumulate living expenses that take the rest... Of what we have now we all have living expenses we've got a place to stay and we've got food to eat and we've got to put clothes on our back but what happens is when this gets out of control everything goes toward that but you've been doing the hard work you've been figuring out how to squeeze money from your budget and so let's just say you cut back on going out to eat many times a week and then or, or let's say you you started carpooling or or that you started buying store brand at the grocery store you've done the hard work and you've saved two dollars now you've got this two dollars to put toward SAVE, but not just yet. I want to talk about a critical point that many people overlook, and we're going to call it the Weeds Happen Fund. And so I want to press pause on SAVE and bring into play the Weeds Happen. And so... In order to build this Weeds Happen Fund, let's just say $1,000 that you want to save up for emergency, um, you've got these $2 to put toward that. But you've also, through creativity, you've figured out other ways to get more money. Let's just say you sold that treadmill that you got for Christmas. Uh, you sold that treadmill on Craigslist. Um, it was supposed to be for your resolution, but you, uh, you get $1. And, and let's, let's also say that, you know, those, those jeans that you bedazzled and uh, you sold those online on, on eBay, uh, you got we're going to talk about you bedazzling uh, clothes. We'll talk about that later. But you get another dollar. And so now you've got $4 to put toward Weed's Happen. You're building up this fund. And the good news is another payday comes. And when another payday comes, you have a priority to make. You have a decision to make. It's that first decision to honor God. Then we've got that, to stick to that budget that we set. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and so seven goes to that budget. This leaves the remaining two for weeds happen. Now, surprise, surprise! It's good news. You got a, you got your tax return back. So another two dollars goes to weeds happen. This closes out your weeds happen fund because emergencies are going to happen. You're now prepared for that. So we're just going to move that over here for a time of emergency. This brings save back into play and so you might think well now it's time to save but not just yet i want to talk about another area and that's debt good news it's payday Another payday comes, and you've been honoring God with first fruits. God's blessed you. You got a raise. You got $13 now. And you know what? It's a good thing. Your birthday's rolled around. And surprise, surprise, your grandmother sent you a card, and you got a dollar in the card. So that's add another dollar to the mix. And so now you've got a decision to make. What's your first priority? It's to honor God with a tithe. And so we'll put two in here. Dollar, uh, forty would be Toward that first fruits, honoring God, 60 cents. Let's say it goes it goes above and beyond the tithe or to, to support a, a mission trip. And so you've made that decision. The second priority is to continue to stick to that, continue to stick to that budget. Three, four, five, six, seven. It goes in your live fund. This leaves one, two, three, four, five to go toward debt. Now let's talk for debt. Let's talk about debt for a second. In this strategy, you want to attack the lowest debt that you have first this is called the snowball effect and you'll attack the lowest debt and after you pay that off you'll pay the next lowest and continue to go until you pay off the highest debt and so here's the good news good news is you continue this strategy eventually you're debt free close that out and now that we've closed out debt now it's time to start saving and this is the time when you can begin to accumulate wealth and so, what we want to do is we want to make saving the second priority. So this means honoring God's a first priority, second priority is saving, and the third priority is living expenses. So the good news is another payday comes. And on that first priority the decision you make is to honor God first fruits. But now you have margin. Now you can begin to save and accumulate wealth. And then, because it's $10, ten ten eighty, now you have eight dollars to go toward living expenses. Three, four, five, six, seven which leaves you with three. And this is margin. You can make a decision about what you want to do with this. Maybe you want to go above and beyond and give to God. Maybe you want to begin to save and continue to build up and accumulate wealth. Or maybe you want to take this and just have fun. But now you have options. And uh, you know what? You hear this and you might think, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm working with. This is all I've got. Or maybe you're listening to it you're thinking, this is the lifestyle that I have. This is what I've got to work with. But the reality is, no matter where you're at, the 10 10 80, applies. It's the principle that applies. So here you are with $3. Speaking of having fun, I've got $3 left. You want to go get some ice cream? <laughs>
0: yeah! Okay, come on. All right, that video was really helpful, in my opinion, on how do we deal with debt? How do we deal with saving on a regular basis? So I'm going to race through some of this stuff because we are getting close on time. So the next fill-in is, you not, never, everyone does not have the same budget you look back at Leviticus, everyone does not have the same budget. There are different people. There are people who are poorer. There are people who are workers. There are people who are owners. No one has the same budget. And that's uh, what's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> is that we don't all have the same budget. Life would be so much easier, right? I actually don't think so. Um, but then we tend to believe that everybody should be the same, right? We tend to believe that that is fair. We've got these candies. We talked about candy last week. About my kids and how much they love it. Let's pretend that these are budget. And this is this is you know somebody's life right there. Oh man. Look at that. It's overflowed right there. You've got these two different budgeting strategies for life. Sour patch candies of course, are the best candy God ever invented. <laughs> but you've got these two budgets. And you got one person that, you know, just like the book of Leviticus says, there's different types of people all around that. Everybody makes different amounts of money. The important part is you stick to your budget, that you don't have the same budget as this. You might have friends that have this budget, but this is your budget. And by hanging out with your friends, all of a sudden, your budget starts to look like their budget, and then you get what? In debt. It's real easy. But when you look at Scripture, not everyone has the same talents, the same abilities, right? Right? If we all had the same talents, the same abilities, I would definitely be up here playing guitar with John. Definitely, for sure. But I don't have those talents. I don't have those abilities. We tend to think of what what is fair is very different. God does not expect the same thing from all of us, or God expects the same thing from all of us, but doesn't give the same thing to all of us. And sometimes we think that's not fair. When you look at Scripture, there, there's this story that Jesus tells, and he gives five talents to one person, two to the next, and then one to another person. And, and you're like, that's not fair. He, look at this. Income inequality. Jesus did that. But he expects the same thing back. He expects the same thing out of all of them. I expect that you would steward over that wealth, and that you would have a return on that investment, a return on that life. That's fair. When he expects the same thing all of them, out of all of them. Now some of us might just look like this jar. Just real full budgets here. Oh man, I should have picked a less sticky candy and a less messy candy. We might need to back uh, you before this wedding, huh? There we go. up, oh, sour Patch kids for you guys, Some of us have budgets like that, and there's some of you who have a budget. That looks like this. And you look at that and go, that's not fair. My budget's right here. And your budget's right here. That's that's not fair. But we're called to live inside our own budget. See, when you use the 10, 10, 80 principle on all of these, you will always have what you need, but not what you greed. The problem is when it comes when we look and and we look at the friends around us and we go, Well, his jar's bigger. Well, well, her jar is bigger than mine. I I want my jar to be that big. I want what they have. In fact, Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. There's a story. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But isn't that what consumerism tells us? That life does consist in that. See, this is troubling because the younger brother, this is most likely the younger brother, and when you get an inheritance in this time, the older brother gets double the inheritance. So imagine two kids, you break it up, your inheritance into three shares. The older brother gets two. The younger brother gets one. This guy says, Jesus, that's not fair. He's got that, and I've got that. That's not fair, Jesus. tell him to give me some of what he has. And Jesus uses this time, this guy saying, look at my brother, he's so greedy. Jesus uses this time to expose the younger brother's greed. Because when we try and point out other people's greed, oftentimes it comes back on us that we're the ones who are really greedy, doesn't it? Ouch. Whenever we point at someone else's, we expose a little bit of our own. So Jesus says, be careful, be on your guard against this mentality that what this guy has, I need. Because God has entrusted you with this, so live in this. Or God has entrusted you with this, so so live in this. If God has entrusted you in this, then live live with that. Be on your guard against all sorts of greed. And you know what, we tend to think that the more up- on, on the scale over here, the larger jar, the more blessed someone is. And we tend to think the smaller jar, the more holy somebody is. But both are wrong. Because God's blessings are not limited to money. There are things like family, things like marriage, things like children. There are spiritual blessings that are just not limited to money. Each of these containers are blessed when you understand 1 Timothy six. 6 which says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me get to the last point here. Three, budget to share with those who are in need. Back to Leviticus, God says, don't touch the edges of the crop. Your world is supposed to include those who are in need. This is not just Old Testament, this is New Testament too. Look, it'll be up on the screen, Ephesians 4.27. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, Paul didn't say, don't save for the future, although that's in the Bible too, you should save for the future he said, you ought to plan to share with those who are in need. That's why the video is so important. Plan to have margin in your budget so that you can share with those who are in need. It's like last week when we talked, the, or a few weeks ago, we talked the economic principle of sow, grow, and harvest. The first fruits are God. Don't touch them. That then, And you continually have the harvest. You will continually have margin to share with those who are in need in your life. We don't typically tend to think of Stephen King, the horror novelist, actually, some of, I would not recommend his reading. We do not technically, we do not tend to think of him as somebody who gives us deep spiritual truths, but he gave this commencement speech at Vassar University in 2001, shortly after he had a near-death experience, and this is what he said. A couple of years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you meant. I found out when I was lying in a ditch on the side of a country road covered with mud on uh, mud and blood and the tibia of my right leg was poking out the side of my jeans like a branch that had been taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, but on on that particular day, in the months that followed, I got a painful and extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed When we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke, not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's going to be a quarter past getting late, whether you're on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will be going wrong, and you can't take anything with you. So I want you to consider, and he says this to the graduates, I want you to consider making your life one big gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyways. All that lasts is what you pass on. We will have the power to, we have the power to help, the power to change. Why should we refuse? Because are we going to take it with us? Please. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money and putting it back where it belongs. Now, he says something unbiblical on people, but we say on God. When you give, it's a way of taking the focus off money and putting it back on God. As a life, a life that gives repays. Wow, it's almost as if, I don't, I don't know if he's ever read the Bible, but it's almost as if he's read the scriptures on this. And then he says, right now you've got the power to do great for yourselves and for others and use your life as a gift. Wow. I love how, even though this guy's not a Christian, you see, giving yourself away is hardwired into humanity somehow. The fact that we need to give ourselves away, we live within a budget, but we have to share with others, that's hardwired into humanity. Are you practicing? With a budget? Are you practicing living inside a budget? Are you practicing that's enough and that's not enough? Are you practicing that in your lives? How are you going to live? How are you going to create margin? The last feeling is this. Make margin for others. Greed is for economic atheists. Let's pray. Father God, um, as we begin to wrap this service up today, Lord, I I pray that in a real practical way that we would get our budgets in line, that we would honor you with our budgets. Because God, we know that every area of life is yours. We know that every little morsel of money is not ours, it's yours. And so Father, we pray that in this time that we would be the sort of people who would give ourselves away. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Now, Typically, I would just go right into the music, but I'm going to change our schedule just a little bit. Marlia, would you come on up?